Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this week's show, I'll be joined by Dan Dockett, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, as we discuss the news that the venues have been announced for the NCAA tournament. We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, also, uh, the net rankings were released on Monday for the first time. That's the sort of group of rankings that are put together through a compilation of various uh, data points, metrics that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee uses. And in light of the venue announcement for Cats Ranks, do my favorite historic venues that I'd like to either see uh, the NCAA Tournament go to. I don't think it may happen, but also recognize sort of the top 10 of historic venues that I love in the sport. Uh, and then we'll get to March Chadness, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Going over predictions uh, from last week at a little bit of a subpar week because some games got postponed and looking ahead to this week. So all of that here going forward. All right. So first of all, major announcement. We teased this last week with Dan Gavitt, uh, the NCAA senior vice president. And so we got information. The NCAA tournament will be held in 2021 in the state of Indiana, dealing with one state government, one health department, making everything much easier, streamlined. So all of that will happen. That's number one, the venues. Two courts at Lucas Oil Stadium, home of the Final Four, April 3rd and 5th. Not at the same time, but two courts. Uh, Banker's Life, home of the Pacers, hosted many conference tournaments, NCAA tournament. Hinkle Fieldhouse, historic venue. The Fairgrounds, host of the um, Horizon League, but it's got great history that Dan Dockage will talk to us about. And Indiana and Purdue, Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena, two of my favorite venues. Those will supposedly be day trips because teams will all stay in the Indianapolis area. So all of that will take place sometime in the third week of March and probably run straight through. Selection Sunday will still remain on March 14th. What we don't know yet is the quarantine time, uh, the arrival time of all the teams, the testing protocols. But my gut is once we start the tournament, we go because we're going to still end at the same time, April 3rd and 5th. You know, I, you got to look at the calendars, how many days off will still be wedged in there. But look, no one's leaving the state or the greater Indy area, so you don't need to have as many days in between rounds. It's still only six games to win the whole thing, so keep that in mind. And it's more than doable. I think it's tremendous. I think it's the right answer. Uh, the state loves the sport. The home office of the NCAA is in Indianapolis, so it's easy for the staff to coordinate and plan. It's the best answer to make sure we have a competitive health and safety-driven NCAA tournament. We have to have one. We've said this for a year since it was canceled in 2020, and we know we're going to have one in 2021. And it works with television to do it on the same dates, uh, and I think people will be captivated by it. And and once we get to that point, and we're still having disruptions, of course, we're going to have teams that are going to be ready to compete for national championship. I'm going to stay on my soapbox. I've said this many times, okay? Teams and players and coaches can opt out at any point. From this point forward, before, 
Duke's women's team obviously was the highest profile. You don't have to play, and no one's going to judge you. That's okay. But plenty of coaches and players, especially the players, want to play. They want to play. And they should. It's being done in a safe manner in terms of the actual games. Travel's obviously different. The way they live their lives are different. But I'm going to tell you, and I keep saying this. You know, I have a daughter who's a theater major. They're not doing theater right now. College basketball players, men and women, are getting the opportunity to play their sport. Football, obviously, in the fall. A lot of their athletes aren't either. So they are feeling grateful and blessed. You can debate whether or not they should, but I would argue then we should not be playing sports at all if that's your argument. Either we're playing sports in a proper manner through health and safety or not. And you also have to remember, it's not just about the economics of those that are participating, okay? Think about all the other people that are participating within it. The production crews for television. These are jobs that weren't existing during the beginning of the pandemic. Um, People actually opening the buildings. I know we don't have the full capacity of workers there, but it's still an economy that goes through athletics and it's beyond the campuses. Uh, And that's important. And, but more than anything, also the mental health of everyone involved, every player I've talked to wants to be doing this. Some have chosen not to Jarvis Amersa from Minnesota. He opted out and that's fine. There's no issue there. No judgment should be made, but Luca Garza, Jordan Bohannon, the Gonzaga guys, they all want to play. They're having phenomenal years. Baylor, all these teams. Drake is 12-0 and 0 as I'm taping. You know, they want to participate. You only get one shot at this life. And so you can't, while you may get another year of eligibility, you can't mimic this. Guys will leave. They'll transfer. They go to the NBA. This is, for a lot of people, their one shot with this particular group. So embrace it. Nothing is easy. Nothing. Can't even go out to dinner now. The UK is shut down. The vaccine's coming. It is here, I should say, but it's going to be slowly rolled out as we're seeing. So any talk of May madness, wait till the vaccine, that's complete foolishness because we can't wait for it because we have no idea when those of us who are healthy or in a good age bracket even get vaccinated. So we got to plug ahead, do it as best we can. There's a lot of people spending a lot of time to try to make this season happen. So the net rankings came out. We're going to talk to Mitch Barnhart. The Kentucky Athletic Director, who is the NCAA Tournament Men's Basketball Selection Committee Chair, about the venues, and most importantly, the net rankings. Compilation of the rankings put together, and they do really mirror the Power 36 and the Top 25. So it was good they waited to this point. We know it's not going to be an equal season. It's going to be unequitable. But I think things will even out. And I say this, at the end of the season, when we get to mid-March, if teams have played anywhere from 18 to 22 games, that will feel like a full season. So let's get to our interviews. I think you'll find these very interesting. Up next, Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky Athletic Director and the Chair of the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. Mitch, on Monday, the venues were announced. We kind of knew that it was going to be in the state of Indiana, but that became official. So just if you can, from the committee standpoint, what went into the thought process of, of keeping it in the state of Indiana and choosing those venues? Well, first of all, player and coach safety, trying to make sure that we created a healthy environment for student athletes and coaches, and then all the people that are working the tournament. And that's a a monstrous task, as you know, we're on a lot of people's parts. So bringing everybody into a safe environment, trying to make sure we have the best opportunity possible to put together 
the field of 68 and put together a start to finish tournament where we were able to crown a national champion. So that was most important. We felt like the controlled environment gave us the best chance to do that. And the state of Indiana is no stranger to putting on big events, final fours, and has an ability with an infrastructure in place in all of the NCAA offices right there for us to be able to service it and give it the best chance to succeed. And so these venues, you know, this is going to be a once in a lifetime event, we hope, to do it all in one place. But, you know, Hankel, Indiana, Purdue, the old fairgrounds. Obviously, we know about Lucas Oil and Baker's Life, but what do you think about incorporating some of those more historic Indiana venues? Yeah, I think it's going to be really unique. Uh, you know, I, I think this is one of those when when players and coaches go back and they're, they, they get the reunion in 20 years, they're going to say, do you remember? We were the team that did this. And, you know, and I think there's so much history at those facilities and it's going to be completely different than anything we've done in the past. And but I think it's also a really cool opportunity. We don't want to obviously get in the habit of doing it every year. If, if uh, you know, that's a, a future committee's decision, obviously. But I think that we'll go back to normal after this. But for this year and this time, it's a completely unique opportunity for experiences that young people will never see again. All right. So let's shift to the net rankings because you got to get there. And the way you get there is you're selected by your committee. And so the net rankings came out for the first time on January 4th, that being Monday. Now we know, and you said this, and Dan Gavin has said this, your head coach, John Calipari, has said this many times, said this to me on a Zoom early in the preseason. It was not going to be an equitable season. We know that some teams were going to play more games than others, but right off the top, it equates to the poll. Gonzaga is number one, and no other team really has gone out and scheduled uh, and played high-profile games more than the Zags. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, clearly they're they're an incredible team. We've, we've had an opportunity to watch them early on, and they, as you said, they scheduled a difficult schedule. Uh, they've got some some players that are playing an incredibly high level, and obviously the net speaks for itself. And it says, you know, right now they're the number one team in college basketball, and so the January ranking is going to have a you can have some teams that haven't played five games yet. Then you've got some teams that have played almost ten or twelve games. And so the rankings at this point in time are probably not a lot of relevance in terms of the numbers in there. But realizing the more information, the more that goes into the pot, the better the metrics will end up being. The data does not include preseason data. Some of the metrics in in today's world have preseason data put in there. The data will get better as we go and it'll filter out. But I don't think there's any mistake. The Zags certainly deserve to be at the top of the leaderboard. And I'll tell you, Mitch, really, if you go to the top 11, all those schools in some form or fashion have had really good non-conference conference starts, have been ranked in the top 20. And so, you know, I think by waiting till January, we actually can see that it does somewhat mirror, for the most part, what we've seen on the court. Well, that and I think the thing is really important. We started November 25th, so it was really difficult at that point in time to really do much early in December. The other thing I think is we're nervous about how many games are being played. We're playing 75 to 80% of the games that are scheduled. Now, that's not perfect. It's not 100%. I don't have the actual day number. We've In mid-December, late December, we were in that 75, 80% range. I think we're holding true to that. So if we can find a way to get each team in that zone where they're getting a number of games played, 18 to 22, now you've got a really good resume to be able to gain information out of the metrics, realizing that the committee is going to have a real task at hand as they begin to look at video and have conference monitoring phone calls 
um, other tools in our toolbox besides just the metrics that are on the team sheet. So where do you weigh in terms of the, the road win? Yeah, I don't think we've got that totally in terms of the metric piece. We have to think about that as a committee is how that plays out. You know, I'll go to our venue, 21,000 in Rupp Arena. There's 2,000 in there right now. So that's where we are. So it's not the same venue that you would play in, but you still have to test before you go. You still have to get on a plane. You're still socially distant. You still have to go in there and play at a place you're unfamiliar with against an opponent who knows that facility well. So finding the balance in that conversation will be really, really important. That's something the committee's working its way through right now. And one last thing that sort of ties these two things together, the, the venue announcement and the net, which is when you get to actually seating, you don't have to worry about the travel aspect, obviously, and, and protecting certain teams in their region. So in one sense, that'll be easier to remove that part from the committee. On the other, how much are we going to look almost like a, a true 1 to 68 sort of seat line because you're not going to have to move people based on location. I think that's certainly something that, again, logistically, now that we know that we're all going to be in the state of Indiana, we know that we're going to be in, quote, the bubble that everyone wants to call. We're going to call it a controlled environment. You know, when we know that we're in that controlled environment, now we've got a better feel for being able to say, what does that look like 1 to 68? I think it's a great point and and something that, that Dan and I have talked about and the committee has talked about. And uh, clearly, we've got some really important meetings coming up here in the next month leading up to our early reveal in early February, um, and then uh, bringing the committee together in March. we got a really, really thoughtful, really good group of people to work with. And, and Dan Gavitt is the best of the best, and, and so thankful at his, his leadership and guiding us through these really turbulent times. And um, I'm excited about it. You know, back in October, no one wanted to have a destination, and Dan was thoughtful and kept saying, we've got to make sure that we keep focused on what we're trying to get to. We've got a destination and people are playing games and working hard at it. And kids are great performances out there. You're seeing some really fun, unique things for college basketball and some really interesting times. But it's, it's great to watch it again on in real time and looking forward to the tournament. Yeah, there's no question the quality of play, the numbers, everything's up. I'll just say this. My concluding thought is there's no asterisk. OK, there was no asterisk for the Lakers. There's going to be no asterisk for whoever wins this tournament, because if you got through this season, in a pandemic, you could argue this might have been the most difficult season to get through. So uh, whoever wins the NCAA championship at Lucas Oil in early April in the state of Indiana will have earned it, maybe more so than any other in the past few decades. Couldn't agree more. I think that this is one of the most challenging efforts ever. You know, I go through the testing protocols with our teams and I'm in there watching them and, and they're faithful. The young people are faithful about coming in there and getting tested, um, working really hard to maintain their health and then maintain their academics and then maintain their athletic abilities. So if you've done that and you are standing on that dais at the end of the deal on that platform and you're holding a trophy that says you won the national championship, there's no asterisk. It is an incredible effort and, and, and be very proud of what you've accomplished. Appreciate it, Mitch. Stay safe. Andy, thanks so much. All the best. Happy New Year to everyone. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now it's time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. And in light of the NCAA tournament announcing their venues for the NCAA tournament in the state of Indiana, I'm going to give you my top 10 list of the 10 venues, some which have already been announced, that I'd love to see the NCAA tournament return to, my iconic venues. Probably not going to happen in some instance, but here's why. At number 10, 
Poly Pavilion. They've done a lot of rehabbing to Poly Pavilion, but it just has such great history of everything that UCLA went through there in the 60s and 70s. Um, I think it'd be cool. Let's bring the tournament to Poly Pavilion, have UCLA host, bring back some of the greats from those Bruins teams. Um, there's significance in Poly. At number nine, Assembly Hall in Bloomington. They're getting it, which I think is tremendous. It's unfortunate, probably won't be packed, but one of the iconic home courts in the sport. At number eight, I'm gonna go old school here, and they do host this tournament, but I still love it. And that's the Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City, the home of the 1979 epic final between Bird and Magic, Indiana State, and Michigan State. Now the Huntsman Center does host NCAA tournament events, so I want it to keep happening because I think it's a great venue, and it's got great history. At number seven, the pit in Albuquerque. The tournament has been back many times since 1983 when NC State knocked off Houston. Uh, the pit has changed a little, still needs to get more modern, but I still love what the pit is about and its history in the sport. Mile high and louder than dot, dot, dot. Got to go down under the ground. At number six, the barn in Minnesota, the raised floor. Look at the final four of this raised floor because it's the dome. So why not first or second round? I think it'd be great. Bring back the final four. Don't have to go to the Target Center. Let's do it at the barn. Limited seating. All right, number five, Mackey Arena. Staying in the Big Ten. Big Ten obviously has tremendous facilities in terms of history. And the NCAA tournament will be at Mackey. But the way that sound reverberates off the top, love it. Number four, another venue they're using, Hinkle. That's Hoosiers. And Butler's done a remarkable job of maintaining the history of Hinkle. Number three, Cameron. We're not going to see it because it's so small, but it'd be wild to see NCAA tournament games at Cameron Indoor Stadium. A neutral kind of Cameron crazies around the court. Number two, place where I think I've lost hearing, Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, the Rock Chalk Jayhawk just sort of rings in my head. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Um, that'd be great to see they go to Lawrence, Kansas. And number one, the Palestra. Big five in Philly. Once again, I know too small for the NCAA tournament, but it would be tremendous to have NCAA tournament games at the Palestra. So in the future, if they're looking for iconic venues to complement the NBA arenas or the domes, think about this list. All these arenas are being used today, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They all got great history in this game. And that is my Cats Ranks for this week. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, my good friend Dan Dockich, who is an ESPN college basketball analyst, of course, a former head coach, multiple stops, including Indiana, his alma mater. And you can hear him in Indianapolis on what station? 107.5, the fan, baby. <laughs> So you are Mr. Indiana right now on the sports scene. And on Monday, the NCAA announced what we kind of all anticipated, which was that the NCAA tournament in the middle of a pandemic would be held in one state, dealing with one governor, one region, one health department, the state of Indiana. So let's just go down the line here. First, tell me about the significance of the fairgrounds. Well, they redid it. In fact, I did the Horizon League Championship and semifinal. They redid it so IUPUI could bring it out. What the fairgrounds is in Indiana 
it's historical. That's where the Pacers did all their ABA championships with McGinnis and Mel Daniels and Roger Brown. It's old school now, Andy. You know, when the basketball isn't in there, they got the cattle running in there. They've got, I don't know, all kind of different stuff going. But for basketball, I tell you what, Andy, it was pretty cool. It really was. It was the last real games that I did. Benetti and I did them in there. And it was kind of a probably eight, 9,000. Maybe they can go to 10,000. But there's a lot of history for us in Indiana. Now, the younger people don't know or care about the ABA, right? But in Indiana, the fairgrounds is the place everybody went to to watch the Pacers back in the 70s when they were winning ABA championships. It's a, it's kind of an iconic place here. All right. Obviously, nationally, people know about Hinkle. But having the NCAA tournament in Hinkle, what do you think that means? Hinkle became a big deal after the movie Hoosiers. And Hinkle cleaned itself up after Hoosiers. Be honest with you, Hinkle was a bit of a dump, Andy, for a while. And then Hoosiers, and now it's like, whoa, look what we got here. You know, we got the big open window. We got a cathedral, they call it. And it is. It's a it's a fantastic basketball arena. It really is. Behind the baskets, man, that second level is almost over top of the rims. Uh, people are really going to enjoy seeing it on TV, which they always have. You know what Hinkle's become? I used to love in Indiana when I would see a, a family, you know, looking at all the trophies and I would take them on tours of assembly. Oh, I'll take you in the locker room, show you where Coach Knight, you know, Hinkle's become that place. You know, a lot of people just show up and want to look at, you know, where Hoosiers was, take a tape measure. And, you know, how many coaches are going to take the tape measure and say, well, the basket's 10 feet high there. You know, you know, that's going to happen. But, you know, it, I think it's fantastic. All right, so Indiana and Purdue, obviously because of the venues in Indianapolis, they've not been hosts. This is a unique situation we'll get to momentarily, but what do you think of those two venues, Big Ten home courts, two of the best, not just in the league, but obviously the country, to host NCAA tournaments? Well, Indiana in 81 hosted the regional and went to the Final Four in front of eighteen or 17,000 Indiana fans, which is a hell of an advantage. Now, you're not going to have that this year. But let's be honest, you want to play in big venues, a lot of kids do. So you got two of the iconic venues, particularly for us here in the state of Indiana. The interesting thing for me is going to be this, Andy, the logistics, you know, practices are going to be in the convention center, right? So I was told that everybody's going to stay downtown, which is a little bit of a drive to Bloomington. That's going to be an interesting deal because as you know, when you go to play in the NCAA tournament, particularly in the early rounds, you may be staying literally across the street from the venue. So that whole deal is going to be interesting. But I do want to say this, Andy, I got to tell you, man, there was an energy today in our city that I haven't seen. I don't even know, man. I mean, because, look, Indy's been hit hard. Downtown, we had, we had some protests this summer. We've been boarded up. Uh, crime has surged a little bit. But, man, are people fired up. Because the tournament, it's all going to be here. Uh, restaurant owners, I got some texts from those guys saying, man, you know, we got to figure out, you know, whether we're going to have fans, which it looks like probably not, maybe some family, maybe some coaches. But they're trying to get it set up so it's a great experience coming downtown. And Indy's pretty damn good at it. They're about as good as it gets. So, Andy, the energy here is off the charts, man. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, and I said this off the top. Um and, and I do think, and I know there's so much pride in the state of Indiana that even if, and we don't know, it's still too early to say whether or not fans will be there, but even just seeing all these venues, you know, on television, and it will be a great marketing campaign, if you will, for the state, for these schools, for these venues, 
What what do you think that means to your average Hoosier? It means everything, Andy. It it, it meant so much that Dan Gavitt and the people, uh, Mark Emmert and the people at the NCAA gave it to Indianapolis. Now, I understand we lucked into it a little bit, right? Final Four was supposed to be in 2021, so now it just makes sense to keep going in the same city. But there is a sense of pride here about basketball, Andy. Basketball, although the Colts have certainly done well, you know, basketball is number one here. One of the few states anymore, given how popular football has become. I had so many people calling my show today, so excited. You know, of course, everybody says, well, why don't they play it, you know, in Newcastle, where they got 10,000 fans at the high school, or Gary West side, you got 9,000. I wanted it at my high school gym, 1,500, man, at Andre, you know. But Indy needs this. And I know every city needs this. Look, if you put it in New York City, they would say, hey, look, we really need this. Uh, any city you want to name. But for us here in Indianapolis, number one, we're honored. Number two, we're excited. And number three, hopeful. Hopeful that this whole thing comes off. We just, we're starting to see now. Hey, look, Big Ten games hadn't been canceled. A couple have. We're apprehensive a little bit, hoping it comes off. But for today, man, worry about that later. Let's just celebrate. It's coming. It's coming to our city. All right, so while I have you, Dan, I just got to ask you, the new net rankings came out. I think they were actually, at least at the top part, kind of true to where we are right now. I mean, the top teams, Gonzaga, Baylor, Tennessee, Illinois, Villanova, Michigan, Iowa, Houston, Texas, Missouri, Wisconsin. They've all had a run in different parts of the top 25. But overall, to me, and you've done a bunch of games already, I actually have been impressed with the quality of play without having a true summer, a true fall conditioning preseason you know, obviously Gonzaga, Baylor, and Iowa are scoring off the charts, so averaging over 90. So they're obviously performing at a high level. But it just feels like the play is better than I think we could have expected with everything that happened in the offseason. Andy, I agree with you. This is as good as we would have if we had the summer. I really believe that. I'm watching teams shoot the basketball. I'm watching ball moving. Now, I've been lucky enough to do some Big Ten games. And one of the things we got going in the Big Ten, Andy, is that we have older teams. I mean, you know, there's some age on our teams. Transfers, whether it's a grad transfer like Mike Smith coming into Michigan, you know, a guy like Io DeSumo coming back, Luca Garza coming back. There's some older teams, which means you're going to play well. But I got to tell you, I think it's a real tribute to the coaches. I look at these teams. I look at these benches. Man, kids are into it. Rutgers turned the Xfinity Center into a damn home game. Just going crazy. And Mark Turgeon reacted and made his team act that way at Wisconsin and beat Wisconsin. Andy, I think the kids have been great. It's like an AAU game. You've been to AAU games. You know, you get there, you play. The only energy is coming from your team. You know, I've seen Luca Garza chanting defense, you know, things like that. He's a star player of the year. You'd never have that with a full crowd. So that's one of the good things. Obviously, you want fans back, right? I mean, come on, these, these Big Ten venues, how great if we had a packed house in Mackey Arena. You know, for I don't care who's playing in the NCAA tournament or Assembly Hall, but the play, the coaching, the energy of the players, the excitement of the players, I think has been way better than than what I imagined it, Andy. It, I, I think it really has. Hope it continues. You don't know. A lot of football players opted out towards the end. But to this point, my God, I think it's been terrific. Here's where I know we agree on this. And, and I've said this before. I'll keep saying it. If you don't want to play. If you don't want to coach, that's fine. You can opt out. No one should judge you. But I'm going to tell you, I talk to players and coaches literally every day, and everyone I've spoken with wants to play. And when they have a buzzer beater, you know, a big win, 
the joy that they're feeling. They're grateful, you know, because they're able to do this. They're able to have a couple hours a day where they don't have to wear a mask with people around them. And obviously they feel like they've earned it because everyone's going through a lot to get to this point, but they want to play. The coaches, for the most part, want to coach. And so that's my opinion. Like, hey, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Opt out. We get it. We understand. But I have sensed from players and coaches, they want to participate this year. I just got off a podcast with Jordan Bohannon, player at Iowa, and we were talking about exactly that. You know, he's like, look, I came back because of Garza came back. Wieskamp came back. I want to be with my guys. And, you know, I watched him go off the court the other day doing the Iowa game. They won at Rutgers. And the joy, like, oh, my gosh. Now, I'll give you the converse to it. I have a stepdaughter. Brilliant. Just wonderful girl named Tegan Shaw. She plays softball at Harvard. They canceled their season last year when everybody else did, right? And then they announced no more season. Then they said not this year. So she's been home with us. Now, I think I'm a great guy, and I think her mother is a great woman, but a college kid doesn't need to be home who's smart enough to be at Harvard with all of her friends. She told me the other day, she goes, Dan, I swear to God, I'm watching all these kids play. I would hitchhike to freaking Harvard right now and do five-a-days just to be with my team, just to be with my, my friends, just to be competing, right? So I know exactly what you're saying. And to that point, that's why the college basketball players and obviously previously football should, and they do appreciate that they have this opportunity because so many of their peers in other sports, other activities, my daughter's a theater major. They're not doing any theater right now, you know, and they are embracing it. That's what I was talking about with Jordan Bohan. You know, hey, look, just a blast to be with your guys. And when you get it taken away from you, maybe you appreciate it a little more, right? I mean, you, when it's not there, I'm just telling you from my own experience, when my stepdaughter has had probably four or five times at different times since the pandemic hit, you know, three, four, five of her friends come and spend a weekend or in some cases spend a week or two with us. Man, she just perks up, right? That's but, And they all talk about when we get back playing, you know, when we – they're dying to play. So I'm so glad – you know, you got to do it healthy, right? And, and I talked to Dan Gavitt today. Nobody's going to put anybody in any jeopardy, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, man, I'm so glad these kids get the chance. You know, I really am. I, I, I just think that not doing it is not healthy for kids that age. Let's just take college basketball players. They graduate at a level higher than regular students. They're, they're there to go to school. No question. They go to school. But the truth of the matter is you want to play. You're a softball player, basketball player, a football player. That's who the hell you've always been. So I'm just, I get excited about it because I'm just thrilled that we're able to do this and do it at such a high level in basketball. Agree with you 100%, 100%. Uh, you're doing an outstanding job. Obviously, your partner, Jason Benetti, is outstanding as well. You guys are a great pair. Uh, most importantly, Dan, thanks for entertaining us in college basketball. Stay safe. We'll listen to you here shortly. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness. Chad Acock, my good friend and colleague at Turner Sports. And Chad, before we get to predictions, uh, the new net rankings came out on Monday, January 4th. And what was interesting to me is, well, first, I'm glad they waited because obviously we needed more data. And as I look at the top 15, for the most part, mirrored, you could argue the top 25. I mean, Gonzaga, Baylor, Tennessee, Illinois, Villanova, Michigan, Iowa, Houston, Texas, Missouri, Wisconsin, St. Louis, 
all those teams have been in the top 25, top 30. If you want to extend it to Boise State, they certainly are now moving up. You know, Colorado and Clemson are sort of in the in the radar. So I don't know. I feel like it kind of showed what's happening. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the first rankings always have some big differences, whether it's the Colgates or the Colorados. But I think what's most impressive to me about the net is its ability to, I guess, correct itself over time. So we'll play more games. We'll add more data for uh, for the net to work. And you go back a couple of years ago, everybody laughed at, oh, Texas Tech, they're in the top three of the net in the first release. And Texas Tech ended up playing in the national championship that year. So that was kind of before Chris Beard had really taken off that program. And uh, it ended up proving true. So uh, I trust the net. I trust it'll get better over time. And I'm excited to see uh, how it develops uh, the rest of the spring. I guess the other thing, when you look at the conferences in the top 25, there were five Big Ten, five SEC. That was the only thing that surprised me a little, that five SEC were in the top 25. Uh, I think we'll ultimately maybe see more Big Ten than SEC uh, and things will even out. But overall, I think people have to be pleased that it, it mirrored for the most part. And, and I will say this, Boise State deserves to get recognition because, you know, they did win at BYU. Their only loss was to Houston. So they've actually had it quietly, sort of, we're not paying attention. We've recognized them in the Power 36, but they've kind of put together a nice little resume so far. Yeah, not bad. And then you got St. Louis up to number 12 on the net, too. So, uh, you know, some of the mid-majors getting some love. All right, let's uh, let's pepper through the predictions. How did I do last week? Last week was your first uh, under 500 week, Andy, and, and you did get kind of screwed over on the UVA and the FSU games both getting postponed. I, I think you would have won both of those games, Virginia uh, over Virginia Tech and then FSU at home over Duke. You got both home teams there. I, I think you could have finished at 5-5, five and five, but we won't know. So we'll see if you can bounce back this week. And we're going to start with, no surprise, a Big Ten matchup. Uh, number 15, Rutgers, and number 25, Michigan State. Rutgers took down Purdue to start last week, and then uh, they had that two-point loss to Iowa. Meanwhile, Michigan State finally picked up its first Big Ten win at Nebraska after losing its first three conference matchups. Andy, you typically don't pick against MSU at home, so you riding with the Spartans again here? I am. Uh, as well as Rutgers has been playing, they almost beat Iowa. Michigan State won in Nebraska. Uh, maybe A.J. Hogard is now the point guard. Uh, I, I got to believe Michigan State rectifies their slow start and gets a win at home. All right. Now, Wednesday, January 6th, another Big Ten matchup. Number 16, Minnesota at number 10, Michigan. Michigan still off to a perfect start on the season at 9-0. and And honestly, most of those games haven't even been close. I think they've played maybe one relatively close game. You know, we've touched on this briefly, but Minnesota, they've been great at home. They have, you know, they've beat Michigan State. Iowa, Ohio State. But on the road, they've lost by 27 to Illinois, and they lost by 12 to Wisconsin. Uh, do you think their tough home road splits continue, or do you think the Gophers could sneak away here with a win? No, I think they lose this game. I called their game against Ohio State, and they had a great second half. Marcus Carr actually was not dominant. It was Liam Robbins, the Drake transfer. But I think he can get neutralized by one of the most underappreciated freshmen this season, Hunter Dickinson, who's had a phenomenal start That's right. um, for the Wolverines. So I think, and Mike Smith, the veteran transfer from Columbia, I mean, he'll have his hands full with uh, Marcus Carr, but I think Michigan wins this one at home. Okay. Now, staying with Wednesday, you've got Arkansas at number nine, Tennessee. These are two one-loss teams that just suffered a, a little bit of a home letdown over the weekend. Which team do you think rebounds with a win? I'm going to go Tennessee. Justin Smith is hurt, the Indiana transfer, so that hurts the Hogs right now. And I, I think that was more of an anomaly with the Vols losing at home to Alabama. Yeah, I do too. I think Tennessee bounces back big here. 
last game on Wednesday, number 19, Virginia Tech at Louisville. We missed out a chance to see Virginia Tech take on Virginia. We mentioned that. But that means we have a pair of 2-0 and teams in the ACC play, and the initial net rankings actually have Louisville as a better team. Who do you think wins here? Well, this is a tough one. Virginia Tech is playing well. Their game against Virginia, you know, didn't happen. But Louisville has actually been playing very well as well lately. David Johnson's been on a tear for the Cardinals. I'm going to go with Louisville at home. Okay, Louisville. I like that pick. Thursday, January 7th, late game, 11 p.m. Eastern. Number 17, Oregon at Colorado. We just touched on Colorado and how Colorado, you know, they're number 14 in the initial net release, higher than Oregon. Do you think Colorado wins at home? So there's no question I think Oregon has more talent, but I like this matchup for Colorado to win at home. They're still searching for that consistency, but I think McKinley Wright the fourth, Evan Batty, I think they will perform at a high level in this matchup and take out the Ducks. Yeah, I think they do too. I think the home factor, the altitude, I think that makes the difference for uh, for Colorado. Saturday, number four, Texas at number 14, West Virginia. And honestly, one week ago, this matchup probably looks completely different. But since then, Texas smoked Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. And then West Virginia lost Oscar Shibway. So just totally different matchup here. Who do you think comes away with the win in Morgantown? I'm going to go with Texas. No question. I think West Virginia is sort of leaking oil right now. With the departure of Shibway, they've lost now, you know, the game to Oklahoma. Mojo Gibson was our uh, National Player of the Week with uh, his performance in that game against the Mountaineers. And Texas is rolling. That win over Kansas is going to go down as one of the most significant conference wins of the year. I go with Texas on the road. Yeah, big statement win for the Longhorns. They've got all the confidence in the world. I like the pick. Uh, You mentioned Oklahoma. They play at Kansas, number six Kansas. And what a week for the Sooners. You know, fresh off that win against West Virginia. They play at Baylor to start the week, and then they have to go to Lawrence to face Kansas. We saw that Kansas, they're a little suspect at home this year. You know, they got smoked there. But you think Oklahoma could kind of replicate that Texas formula and steal a win? No, uh, I can't see Kansas losing multiple home games uh, within a week. You know, much like we talked about that uh, anomaly for Tennessee at home, I think that Kansas lost. Not that Texas obviously is very good, but the margin of defeat I think was more of an anomaly. I think Kansas gets Oklahoma. Okay. How about number 19, Clemson at North Carolina? And uh, last year, Clemson got a big win at North Carolina, the first time in school history. Do you think they can make that two straight wins at the Dean Dome? Yes, I do. I actually think that Clemson is trending much better than Carolina. That albatross of that streak of not winning there is now off their shoulders. Uh, They're playing better than Carolina right now. So I'm going with the Tigers to win in Chapel Hill. All right, big road win for the Tigers. Next is a matchup that probably a decade ago, it would often decide the SEC regular season, and that's Kentucky at Florida. This year, Kentucky finally snapped that skid with a win at Mississippi State. And more importantly from that win, Dante Allen, he really finally got the major minutes that a lot of Wildcat fans thought he deserved. And he delivered with 23 points, I think seven threes. This week, they faced Vandy to start the week, and you know that's a game you feel like they'd win. So going into this game, they could they could really build some momentum and it could end up being a pivotal game to determine which direction Kentucky heads and if they can get back in the tournament picture. Who do you think wins here, Andy? I like Florida. Colin Castleton has done an outstanding job. He's a transfer from Michigan. He had a great week last week. He was SEC player of the week. And, you know, obviously without Keontae Johnson, they needed someone else to step up. He's done it. 
I like the momentum for Florida in this game against Kentucky. All right. I think this could be a big game for either team. You know, Florida learning how to play without Keontae Johnson and Kentucky trying to find a way to, uh, you know, be desperate enough to get back in that conversation. So big game on Saturday in the SEC. Uh, the last game I'm going to give you, Andy, is Sunday, January 10th. Number 16, Minnesota at number 10, Iowa. Tough week for Minnesota. Two big road games. Iowa lost in the first round of this matchup, 102-95 to on Christmas Day. Do you think they get revenge, or do you think Minnesota gets the sweep? No, I like Iowa. I think they get the split. You know, obviously, Marcus Carr had a great game in that game, so did Brandon Johnson. But I'm going to go with Iowa at home, where they've been uh, very, very impressive. All right, Andy. Well, that's your first full week in 2021, and we will check that out. See how you do next week. Appreciate it, Chad. Stay safe. You too, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, big shout out to our Turner Sports crew, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Sean Bartley, Michael Kaplan, and our entire NCAA.com team that are working tirelessly uh, throughout the course of this pandemic. I appreciate all of you. Great engagement with our product here. Uh, We appreciate all our listeners. Stay safe, everyone. We'll talk again next week.